and welcome to the DILF podcast, as in dad, I'd like to friend. I'm your host, Kevin Selden, and this is a very special episode, specifically focusing on the craziness that's happening in our world right now, and specifically talking about ways that we as parents can deal with our feelings of chaos without passing it on to our children. So just like most of you listening, no matter where you are in the world, I'm sure you're feeling a bit of the chaos. I personally have been going through my own version of insanity with the intense amount of unknowns. You know, my wife and I recently watched Life is Beautiful. And although this is a very different situation, we decided that what this situation called for was attempting to take a lesson from the movie and putting on a very brave face for our child. And that lasted about 10 minutes. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, until we actually talk about our feelings, address them, and deal with them in some way, shape, or form, I don't know that any of us stand a chance at spreading the calm that we need to spread within our homes. And that's why I wanted to do an episode like this, because I know that a lot of us are feeling depressed and anxious and unmotivated. And for me, making the decision to take some kind of action, even in the slightest of ways, has been the only thing so far that's helped to lift me up and be a positive role model for my son. So hopefully, this episode can help to do that for you as well. So let's dive in. I am happy to welcome Ned Johnson, co-author of the national bestseller, The Self-Driven Child. Ned, how you doing? I'm great. How about you, Kevin? I am very well, thank you. So you are a parent as well as an author? I have a son who's a senior in high school waiting to hear from colleges and a daughter who's a sophomore who doesn't care yet. So we're doing great. This must be as exciting times for you as it is for me with an 18-month-year-old running it's a, around. It's a little interesting. No matter what the age is, it's an interesting time to be alive and to try to stay alive. So, yeah. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite things uh, from uh, things I've read that you have written in the past are the concept of stress being contagious, that there are things beyond viruses that can infect one another. I'd love you to talk a little more about that and some of the brain science that you've studied. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch to this. I mean, everything from, um, well, I mean, the easiest way people can imagine if you're walking into a room and nobody says a word and you're like, what's going on? And you can walk in another room and no one says a word and you feel completely happy and at peace because stress is contagious and calm is contagious. And we are wired to pick up on the emotions of other people. From a brain perspective, you know, the, the, the most recently evolved part of the brain is the prefrontal cortex and allows us to think and, and decision making and problem solving and planning and to put things into context. So when, when things are not going well, you go, well, that doesn't work. What's my plan B? as opposed to the amygdala, which is this very primitive part of the brain that simply perceives, uh, senses, and reacts to threat, and it doesn't think. And so we, we know that in a perfect world, our brains, when we're in our right minds, the prefrontal cortex, the decision-making put things in perspective, 
part of our brain runs everything else as opposed to the, oh my gosh, part of the brain that just panics and wants to run for the hill, right? <laughs> you can tell I'm on edge right now. You made that gasp and I just actually shook right. a little. Like, right. there was and and we're, we're all on edge, right? We're all on edge, right? And, but, 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 but we know that, that, that calm is contagious. So there's this beautiful study that was done um, with a guy named Michael Meany. He did these things with the rat pups. And so the moment they were born, they whisked them away. I, did you say right. rat? Rats, pugs? rats, rat pups. So pups are baby rats. So oh, the reason pups, they, rat so, so researchers do lots of things with rats because they have brain systems. They're very similar to people. So they take these baby rats and they whisk them away from mom and dad, from mom. And they, they kind of sit there and, and, and kind of handle them with latex gloves. And it's really stressful. And so they can see the cortisol, the, the principal stress hormone in their brains just explodes because they're really freaked out. But if they give them back to mom and mom is up what they describe as a high licking and grooming rat, which is just the rat equivalent of there, 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 hugs and kisses, this is all going to be okay. The cortisol just flows right out of the bodies and brains. And they're like, oh, thank goodness. And what Meany did is he did this day after day after day until these baby rats became adult rats. And then he looked at what was going on with their brains. And they were, they had this incredible connections between their prefrontal cortex and their amygdala, meaning that when, th when they stressed out, when something stressful happened, the prefrontal cortex that put things in, puts things in perspective immediately activates and dampens down the stress response. And so these rats were raised to, to have resilience in, in the face of difficult situations to the point that Meany and his colleagues gave him the nickname of California laid back rats. So they were, <laughs> they're impossible to stress because the, the experience of having things be kind of, kind of intense, but then fully recovering by, by a mom or dad who's like, it's okay, it's okay. Really intense, it's okay. Wired them to be impervious to stress when they're adult rats. And so this is part of the reason I wrote this article of, this is gonna be an intense period of weeks or months for all of us. And I have a allegedly adult brain and I think I can handle this stuff. But what I'm interested in is for all of us as parents who have little people, that we also wire them to be able to handle this. And I'll tell you, there was a story that I wanted to put in this article and I didn't because it, it felt a little personal. And those who are listening, just yeah. so you know, um, Ned is discussing an article he wrote in the Washington Post, which is a great article if you Google it. Yeah, thank you. And for we'll that. put a link in the notes. Yeah. So I worked with a boy who was clinically anxious, lovely in every way, but clinically anxious. And I asked him a couple, you know, with corp of a couple of few hours, I said, said, do you have a sense of when this kind of started? He said, Yeah. Well, when I was like four or five, we were in Florida, my mom and dad and me, and we're driving down this highway, and there's this terrible, terrible storm, and there was a tornado. And the tornado went across the road, and it, and it felt like it was right on top of us. And my mom and dad, they completely, they completely lost it. And I said, I'm really convinced that that's when it started. And I'm really convinced that if they'd been able to stay calm, and I would have been calm too. But because they were just screaming and they lost their minds, it was just so traumatic for me. And I'm really not sure that I've quite recovered. And I didn't. That want to kid is so self-aware. I feel yeah. like he needs to write his own book. That oh. is extremely brilliant of him to acknowledge yeah. his own situation. And the hard part, Brent, is how do you undo that? And so he's got great people supporting him. He's going to get there. And I didn't. I ended up not writing because I didn't really want to fault his mom and dad because you can understand they have a human stress response too, and this was overwhelming to them. But what, what we're aiming for is, is in a perfect world, we all experience stressors that are tolerable. They're not fun, 
but they're tolerable. And by having the experience of learning to cope with it, we wire our brains to be able to cope with other things in the future. The other big piece of research, there's another guy named Steve Meyer, who's one of the great psychologists in the world. And he's, he's most known for his early work 50 years ago now on what's called learned helplessness. You have two rats in a cage, their, their tails hang out the back of the cage, they put an electrode and they shock them and they don't like it, it's super stressful. One rat just endures this day after day after day. The other rat, they put a wheel in the, in the, in the cage with him and, and he learns that if he spins the wheel and spins it really fast, that that shock stops. And he now has a, a stressor, but it's a controllable stressor, something that he can do something about. And again, we get this massive activation in the prefrontal cortex that puts things in perspective and it dampens down his stress response. Now, it again, gives they, them something to do with their time and a way to focus their energy that is not about the thing that's stressing them out. That's exactly right. And he learned, and the rat learns a sense of control. Now, here's the great part. They can disconnect the wheel and still shock them. The rat doesn't know that the wheel doesn't work. It's not necessarily being in control, but the sense that I can control this thing makes a difference. In future situations, again, the rat jumps into coping mode and says, how do I handle this as opposed to just hiding in the corner and, and, and shivering? So my hope is that through this process, you know, some of us are going to have some really hard things. Most right. of us are going to have some mildly hard things. And what I'm hopeful that is that out of this experience, we as parents can convey calm and say, we're going to figure this out. I don't know how yet, but we're going to figure this out together. And we give kids things to do that make them feel as, I mean, you have an 18 year old, he's not going to, you know, there's not a lot that he can do, but there are little things that he can do. If, if you say washing your hands, not only keeps you safe, it keeps other people safe. I'm curious about this concept of, um, Yes, we want to empower our kids. And I think it's very important. At, at first, my wife and I tried to kind of hide our, our feelings, you know, push them down the yeah, way yeah. my wife was raised in Minnesota. Uh-huh. Um, and just kind of, values, right? <laughs> yeah, but, but I feel like at the end of the day, for me, um, it didn't work. It made it worse. Hiding it was not the way. And I know that that's not the case. I always try and be very open and honest with our son, but this was such a crazy situation that I was kind of hiding my feelings even from myself. And that's why I love the point you made about talking back against your own fear in front of your kids. Because if we're going to have a sense of control and we're going to convey a sense of control for them, we also need to kind of obtain it for ourselves in front of them because it is scary, you know? Well, you're exactly right, and that's very that's very well said. And because part of it is, again, you you have normal stress reactions because you have a you have a human brain. But what what in perfect world happens is your stress response goes up. But what we want to have happen is those higher level thinking, that, that prefrontal cortex to jump into line and sort of talk back against your pre, your your amygdala and say, no, no, we actually have a plan for that. And you can do that in front of your kids so that so that it feels completely normal. To, to, to be afraid about things that are scary, but then you and jump to. And I also to, think it empowers them to do that same behavior to that's themselves. Right. That's right. Brilliant. The most powerful, the most powerful method in all of parenting is modeling. And so when they see us do the things, it's so much more powerful than our telling them to do the thing. And it's just hard because your natural inclination is to make your kid feel safe. 
Okay. But particularly as kids get older, even more than wanting to help them feel safe is trying to help them feel brave. And they do that not when we save them, but when they have the sense, whether it's true or not, when they have the sense that they're saving themselves, it's a profoundly different thing. And I also really, I love that. Yeah, and also I mean, really quickly, this the, the, your your point about suppressing your own emotions is a really important one. There's a guy named James Gross who's out at Stanford who makes this point that when we try to suppress our feelings, it slows our thinking. Yeah, it's because when we try to when we use all of our energy, our cognitive energy, to damp down our to suppress our emotions, it it, it lowers the cognitive resources that are available to us for problem solving. So you want to own the fact that yeah, this is really freaky and this is hard for me, but, and then you try to pivot to whatever the heck that but is, but here's how I'm dealing with this. Because we yeah. don't make the feelings, we, you know, and we know this about stress, is that the principal way that, we, that, that you can see people, the manifestation of anxiety is avoidance. And so we don't want to run away from things and, and pull the covers over our head. We want to develop the tools to run right at the thing that is scary. Because that's how we develop the sense that I can handle this by doing your best ability to handle it, whatever that looks like. And so we want to do this. We want to model this for kids. and We want to do this with them. You can say, I'm pretty freaked out with this. I got a couple. Do you have ideas for this? And, and make this a family discussion so that collectively you can think about this. And now their ideas may be wackadoodle, and, and they're not the ones that you as a family adopt. But just engaging them in that process. Or they could be better than the ones that the parents ever Very much so. And be totally true. Totally. And that so often happens because as families, as adults, we often go for more sophisticated. And little kids often go for ways that are simple that we've just forgotten about because we, we, we don't have the brain of a seven-year-old anymore. But we really want to engage our kids in this process. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I remember feeling underestimated as a kid. So many times I feel like I had advice that was thrown to the side because I was a kid. But I, I think I was actually a wise kid, wiser than I am now. And I feel like I um, I think they should not be underestimated. And I know that this is a bit frou-frou, but even my son, who's 18 months, I maybe he's an empath. He feels our energy. He acts differently when we're stressed. And I feel like all kids do. And a lot of times we think, oh, they're just a kid. They don't understand. But I think they do. And I think it's okay to talk about your feelings in front of them, no matter the age, because whether they can communicate back with words, I think it has a positive impact and a positive pattern that you create with them. Well, that, that is an incredibly important Point. And you asked about the brain science early on. Here's 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 the here's a concept for you. There's something called mirror neurons. Okay, and these are in the front of the prefrontal cortex. And so the easiest way is, is if you got together with a really good friend, and you can tell that something's up. And you're like, "What's up, pal?" And he starts talking to you, and you're trying to figure out: is he is he angry? Is he frustrated? Is he upset? What's going on? And these mirror neurons in the front of your brain will start to dance in sympathy with his. Like if you're trying to read someone's facial expression, you kind of mimic their facial expression to go, what are they feeling? And so we want to be very careful that we don't say to kids things that are different from what we actually feel. Now, you don't have to spill their guts on everything. But the worst thing you can do is look at a kid and you are really freaking out and to say to him, it's all right, sweetheart. This is totally fine. Because even for your little guy, does he believe what daddy's telling him or does he believe what he feels? And we want those two things to be consonant with one another. Dad's pretty upset. He's a little scared about this, but he's told me, he's told me that he's scared, but he's told me he's got a plan for this. So that allows me to say, it's okay for my dad to be scared, 
and but okay for me to not be scared because he's told me he has a plan for this. And so we really want to be we want to be open and we, we want to be consistent because it's terrible for us and more so for our kids if we tell them one thing when we really feel something else. I love that. I, I think we I also want to dive kind of into some of the bullet points you've actually given that I think are are very helpful because what I have found is a lot of the issues I'm hearing from friends and from um, from people uh, all around that have been, you know, everyone has their different mechanism in today's world of, of right, vocalizing. Right, 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 right. I feel like so many of the situations people are dealing with are issues that we could have dealt with a long time ago. And I'm not talking about testing kids. I'm talking about throwing your kid an iPad and ignoring them for 12 hours or being on your phone and obsessing about the news or sitting on the endless scroll of social media all day and then saying, I feel alone. Well, I'm telling you, the coronavirus isn't doing that. You may be locked in your home, but you're feeling alone because you're sitting on an endless scroll all day looking at memes, which may make you, laughter is good, but I mean, at the end of the day, come on. I mean, it has no depth. And I feel like that's not a true connection. And I feel like it's touching on so many things with all of us that are like, let's put down our phones and actually interact. You know? Oh, you're so right. I mean, the science is on this is really clear, particularly for kids who are growing up today. We do a terrible, terrible disservice to children if we do anything that fosters their preferring phones over faces. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And so that starts with us. Then when your kid walks into the room, and even if it feels really important, you're looking at this, that, the other, you, you put down the phone or the computer and you look them up and look at the face. Now, if this is important work that you have to do, you still just excuse me for just a second. You t- look at your kid and say, sweetheart, how are you? I'm really sorry. I need to, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of something super important and I don't want to ignore you, but can you allow me to do this for 15 minutes? And you just acknowledge it as opposed to act like they're not in the room. Because it, it, it feels terrible, and we certainly don't want kids to. I mean, for any of us, to, to your point, to sit there on, on, on watching, you know, watching screens over and over and over in the drip feed. I mean, I'm sure a lot of parents have been doing a lot of googling lately, and everything says schedule, schedule, schedule. Create a schedule for consistency, and I feel like that goes just in line with everything you've been talking about. And I feel like if we can schedule in time to. Um, to stress if needed right. and schedule in time for projects, then it allows for parents to not have to put their kids off if they have a work thing. This is my hour to work, honey. And right now, this is your hour for Legos, you know, right. or this is your hour for reading that book. In an, when that's done, then we'll meet up, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and make everyone a part of the team instead of putting them off. Like, come on, this is more important than you. No, it's not. It's just, we (laughs) each have important things that we've agreed to do. And why can't they be a part of making the schedule? You know, so everyone's on the same page. I I love it. And one of the things, I mean, for any of us who are doing work remotely, I think we've all realized how much harder it is to do one, because it's remote and two, because there's this, this, this undercurrent of, of anxiety. And that's going to be true for everything your kid is trying to do, whether it's homework or doing a chore. So we just want to be super, we want to be super aware of that and super sympathetic about it. And we really want to, we want to do this list making with kids. We want to make this a shared experience and not like we're doing it to them. Um, my colleagues who's got little guys who are three and five and, and saying this is so hard because they can't play together for 10 minutes without, without getting on each other's nerves because it's in the air. The stress is in the air. And if you've got two or three kids, I think it's a wonderful time to really think about how to set them up 
for playing for 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 play by themselves and not have all the play together because they they are going to get on each other's nerves. I mean, statistically, kids tend to fight at least six times an hour, and if you're an earshot of this as a parent, you're going to lose your mind <laughs> if you haven't already it's lost so it, right? And so set it up. You know, for, let's play to, let's play alone for half an hour. You know, and sometimes that can be on a screen time if it's age appropriate. And sometimes you can read a book and sometimes you just do whatever you want. And then let's get together because because and just be open about this. We love each other. We love each other. But when we spend all every minute of the day together, we just start to get on each other's nerves a little bit. And that's perfectly normal. There's nothing wrong with you. It's not like you have to, you know, have to be a better brother, be a better, be a better sister. This is just how people are. And so if we can spend time alone time together, time alone, time together. We'll enjoy each other more when we're together. And we can put alone time in on the schedule. And I, you know, one thing that my wife and I have been doing, which I think is great with, with kids as well is if uh, I or my wife snap at each other. It's like the um, the curse jar, except it's a massage jar. So every time if I if I snap at her, then I owe her a five minute massage. And if she snaps at me, and so I feel like that's something you can you could do things more than just give them a dollar for a task. Like I think you can. What are things that you you have to make a snack for me right now because you snapped at me. You know, I love like it. fun things. I love it. I love it. Well, part of it is, you know, I was making a list of things we're going to appreciate more after this whole thing has passed us. And one thing is touching people, shaking hands in a way that's warm, giving your friends hugs, right? And for now, we don't have that many people we're allowed to touch because it's safe, you know, but it's the people in our household. So I love that massage. I think it's beautiful because it lowers everyone's stress. It increases oxytocin, right, which is the chemical bonding when you're when a mom's nursing a baby. But also, and I think this is in the Post article, it's a, it's a way of restorative justice. Rather than you did something wrong, now you get punished. You did something that, in hindsight, we would have done that differently. Here's how you can make amends. Not what you get punished right. for, but you, you made me feel sad. Here's what you can do to help make me feel better. So we're, we're cause we don't want to fight each other with each other. We're going to, we're going to, this is going to be a long haul. We really yeah. want to, we want to make, make our household more loving, not, not more stressed. It's funny in my own home, completely in situations like this. And to be honest, very often I did it during most of the pregnancy. Um, I turn off all social. I turn off all media. I don't want to see the news. I don't want to hear about what's going on with all these other, you know, with all the craziness out of the outside world. And my wife feels that it's important that we know. And so she goes kind of hyper into the Google and the social. And I feel like there's got to be this happy medium. So I love your suggestion of kind of why not... If that's important, then find the balance by scheduling in some time to do the obsessive. Fine. Right. If that's important to you, fine. You only get an hour of day to an hour a day to do it. But, and, and if I, you know, if, if I may, you know, the, the 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 Bill and I are working on a second book that, that's roughly with a working title called "What He Is Saying." It's really how to have these conversations. And so the thing that we want to be mindful of is that if your wife is really anxious about something or you're really anxious or your kid or my kid or whatever, really anxious. And if you start telling me the reasons why I don't have to worry about this, what I tend to do is cling more tenaciously that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't understand. Kevin has no idea what's important, you know, because because I'm you're trying to have a rational conversation with the stressed out part of my brain. And and this, the, the amygdala is impervious to logic. And so what you might try doing some this is for everyone who's listening you know, I really, I'm, I really appreciate that you're paying attention to stuff on on social media and on on CNN or Fox News or whatever you're watching. 
because it's really valuable for us to be informed. My hunch, though, is that if we do too much of this, it doesn't make us feel more safe. It makes us feel more scared. Is that right? And so you start with empathy and then you ask a question. And so if you start with empathy because she feels heard, it's much more likely that you calm down that stressful part of her brain and you now engage the more, the more rational part of her brain. And then you ask her a question. And by asking her a question, you put her in a sense of feeling control, which again lowers her stress response. And then you can say, how often do you think we need to update this to really feel like we're informed? Should we be doing this every minute? And of course she'll say no. Every 10 minutes, what do you think is, what do you, what do you think is useful? Maybe we can take turns. Maybe you watch this on the, you check in on the odd hours and I check in on the even hours. So that oh we my can, God, even we, that's too much. I got, we, just oh, got overwhelmed with the I agree with you completely. <laughs> I agree with you completely, but this is just a conversation and getting it. And she, she should start to see the, 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 the unnecessarinessness, is that a word, right? Of needing to update this every hour. And she can say, well, actually, you know, maybe probably if we did this, you know, right after every meal we had, so, so we don't upset our appetite that might be necessary that might be sufficient i mean the truth is this is you're literally talking to my mother right now um, <laughs> being on the news all day long and then saying i don't know why i'm so depressed well that's why yeah but um so my true. wife is not doing that she's been busy and she's been wonderfully supportive but yeah. but more so what i love about your point is before we can start to tackle all these positive approaches, we have to start to tackle our anxiety. And I feel like a lot of people are reading lists of things that they could be doing, but then sitting apathetically. And I totally know that feeling right, right, because right, I've right. been trying to be positive and um, and productive with work as many are trying, but you, there's something fighting against us. And I think it's our, us denying our own feelings. It's not necessarily just about being there for your partner. I think we all have to take a second to journal, take a second to breathe, take a I second to acknowledge that this is crazy and, and it's pe- okay that people, we're feeling scared. If and people crazy. haven't seen the movie or haven't watched it recently inside out that Pixar movie from years ago, it's so so, so good. And it talks about, it kind of has this little kid and the, and the command control, the control side of her brain. There's joy and anger and sadness and disgust and fear. And joy is constantly trying to run around and suppress and make all these other negative emotions, so push them down. And no, it's okay because she wants to keep in control of the kid's brain. But at the end of the day, you, you, the, the message you realize that it's a, it's a terrible idea to suppress your feelings. If you're sad, there are reasons for sad, and we want, we want to give sadness a chance to have it say. And see, the real there are legitimate reasons why you're sad, the legitimate reasons why you're afraid, and we acknowledge those. So if they feel listened to, so the joy has a chance to go back without giving short shrift to other emotions that are important. And so we want to be we want to be compassionate. You want to be compassionate to wipe the reasons why she's afraid. And we don't want to talk her out of them. We want to acknowledge them, which makes it more easy for her to talk herself out of these things. And for ourselves, we want it. It's a global pandemic. The stock market has dropped 8 million points. People are losing their jobs. If you're not a little freaked out, there's probably something not right with you. And we want to be right. We want to be as compassionate with ourselves as we can because it improves our thinking and our ability to help other people. And we do that for ourselves and for other people. Okay, so now once we all take a minute to hopefully <laughs> um, breathe, acknowledge our own stress, which a lot of us, I think, have been pushing down, yeah. um, and actually start to talk about the fears we're having with our family instead of ignoring them. I think that creates a beautiful environment, like we said before, talk against your own fears in front mm-hmm. of your kids. 
So then we can actually start to tackle some positive, proactive mechanisms. Now you've stated, make a list and right. put some plans together. Right. Um, and then the other thing you've stated, which I love, is assigning kids something to do. Right. And let's talk about that for a minute. Well, yeah. So, so part of this has been in our in our book, The Self Driven Child. We 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 lean into there's a, the research of a woman named Sonia Lupian, who heads the centers of human studies of human stress or center of human stress, whatever, up in Montreal. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And she has this wonderful acronym of what makes people nuts, what makes people crazy. So the N is novelty. Well, we literally are dealing with a novel coronavirus. Woohoo! You unpredictability. Every aspect of your life is currently unpredictable. T, perceived threat. Oh, we got a little bit of that going on. Every freaking doorknob could be death. And then S is a low sense of control. And here's the great part. It turns out that a low sense of control is the most stressful of all of those. And so anything that we can do that can increase our sense of control will lower our stress. So the act of physically just making a list of things that are important things you need to do you don't have to keep that in your head the whole time. And it, it makes you feel like you have a sense of order, particularly for things you can cross off your list, like step, you know, number item number one, make list. Ha ha, I got that one done. Beautiful. Right. And so it, within our household, if we can, even the youngest kid, your kid's young enough, he's toddling around, he can go and put their cycling in their cycling bin. And if you, if you make him feel that he's actually doing something to help, it increases his sense of control because so often as parents, we want to we want to do more ourselves. But if we take away all the meaningful activities from kids, to your point, we're, we're infantilizing them and not recognizing that they can do more than we actually think they do. Yeah. But we also, by feeling more in control ourselves, we lower their sense of control. So as much as we can, it's a, we don't want to do for kids things they can do for themselves. And by giving them something to do, they feel valuable as contributing to the family. And I also think, to your point... I love the idea of, of um, empowering them in a way that, you know, there are so many projects that <laughs> all of us put off consistently in our lives. If I ever had the time, I would work I on love this. it. <laughs> I, you know, there's so many things that you could do as a family or as individuals assign. Uh, it doesn't have to be a homework assignment. It can be a fun kind of adventure that you create with your kid or some kind of, maybe they make a little movie or they write a little, you know, book, a little storybook. I mean, there's so many things you can make up that empower a kid that gets them excited about a project and we can flip it in a way and make this an experience that they have some positive memories about because we can't affect or know what's going to happen monetarily or with our jobs or with health right now. But we can try and make the best of a bad situation. And oh, I feel like that's what your list is is starting to lean towards, which I love. Oh, I mean, I was talking with the you know, kids today about what to like this virtual school, and they hate it because they're basically sitting there staring at a computer, feeling like they're doing work that's meaningless. As opposed to your point, let's make a home video. Let's go. If we've all got, you know, Skype, let's let's think about 25 questions that we should ask grandma. Things we never really got time to talk about because we're always opening presents when we get together. Right. There are all kinds of things. What's your family history? You know, I mean, for me, my wife, my wife runs our household. If she were hit by a bus, I am toast because I don't know where anything is. Insurance and, and bank accounts. I'm like, could we just I would feel a little bit more in control and a little less stressed if we could just if I knew that if, 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 if my life depended on it, I could find the I could find the key to, to you know, to our bank box. Right. There, yeah. there, there, I, 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 I love that idea. Kevin. I think there are a hundred things that we've all put off waiting for someday 
goodness, t- tomorrow's a really good someday to do that because th- there's nothing your kids are learning in home or in school right now from homework that, that's going to matter a speck in terms of their learning. But if they can do right. things that are valuable, they we're always putting up. Boy, I, I love that idea. And that, that leads to your, um, the final point that I loved on your list, which is take the long view <sighs> and the concept of the, the new, these kind of coping skills that we're going to learn through this yeah. and all of the new patterns that we can hopefully set up in our home can be things that help us for years to come. You know, talk a little more about the long view. Well, yeah, there are a couple of things. I mean, part of this was born out of, I had a really, I had a really difficult family upbringing. You know, I had a father who's an alcoholic who eventually drank himself to death and I had a mother who's mentally, and I spent three months of seventh grade in a pediatric psychiatric hospital, clinically depressed. It was hard. It was hard. But how old were you? I was in seventh grade, but I came out of this and I went back to school and I bounced back and it took me quite a while for all this stress to work its way out of it, for me to kind of work it out of my system. But I got back to working hard because, you know, I wanted my life to work out and I have the most, I have the best life of anybody I know. I I love the work that I do. My life loves me. I can't understand why, but I'm going to take it. My kids are terrific. You know, it's just, I just, I'm so, I'm so blessed with what I have. And if you told me that, or if people looked at me in seventh grade, they would have like, I don't know about that guy, but people want their lives to work out. And, And when we're going through this right now, it feels like this is the end of the world. And for a lot of people, I mean, for a lot of people, this is really, really, really hard. But you want to have confidence that this is terrible, and it, but it's, it isn't going to be like this forever. What's that expression? If you're going through hell, keep going, right? Because you want to get through this. And so much of our characters forged and our resilience built and our relationships you know, formulated by how we deal with ourselves and other people and adversity when we're in the middle of it. And goodness, most of us are in the middle of it, or or it's or we're soon going to be in the middle of it. And so, you really do want to be thinking about how do I want to as best I can, and you do it in a way that's self compassionate. But you have the sense that this is not going to last forever. But what is going to last forever are my memories, and and just as important, my kids' memories of 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 this experience of how they dealt with it. And so, yeah, we want to be as supportive as possible. We want to acknowledge that things are hard. We want to listen to each other. We want to work on problems collectively because goodness knows if there's anything that family knows and families need and more so our whole darn country, it's the ability to try to work together to solve problems that are affecting all of us and affecting us individually. I love that. Thank you so much for taking the time, Ned. And, uh, and check out Ned's book on Amazon or anywhere else by Googling The Self-Driven Child. And Ned, hopefully we will talk some more in the future. I would love it. I love your thinking. What, what, what a gift to be introduced to you in your work. Thank you very much. My pleasure. So hopefully those of you listening at home found this episode to be calming in some way, shape, or form and helped you to clear your mind enough to be open to some of the techniques we've listed which are honestly just some of the ways that we can all work to face our fears and emotions head on and not transfer them to our children and hopefully create an empowering environment in our homes. But in all honesty, all this chaos goes much deeper than that. I personally do not believe that the coronavirus is creating as many problems as we all pretend. I think coronavirus is actually just forcing us to deal with things that we've ignored for far too long. It may be possible that much 
of what we've prioritized as a society and in our individual homes are not what's actually important. And this is shining a very bright light on the issues that have needed to be addressed for quite some time. So although no one likes to be forced to deal with anything, maybe taking the time to focus on some of these issues can be one of the good things that comes out of all this craziness. Because regardless what issues are popping up for you, whether it's issues in your home life, or hating your job, or being in a bad relationship, or just feeling alone, now is the time to take some action. And I know you can't necessarily leave your home, but you can do the soul searching. You can make some decisions about your future. And as they say, this too shall pass. So the real question is, how do you want your life to look once it does? If this episode was helpful in any way, please consider sharing it with friends, family, moms, dads. We're all in this together and we're all dealing with something that we've never really dealt with before in our lifetime. So we can all use all the help we can get. Thank you so much.